just lift your voice a little bit. Talk to the Lord a minute. Let him know how much you love him. How thankful you are to be in his presence on this day. We didn't realize how dangerous our circumstances were. You were keeping us. And we didn't realize we were in harm's way. You were watching over us. Lord, when we didn't even know how much we needed provision from you, you provided for us. You've kept us. You've sheltered us. You've shielded us from so much. You've brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light. It was your name that reached into that darkness we were in and wrapped itself around us and began to pull on us. Scripture says, when my people which are called by my name, it was your name that reached into our pit. It was your name that reached into our bondage. It was your name that reached into our circumstances. So Lord, we stand before you today so humbled. Lord, I for one don't even know how grateful to be so I'm just going to tell you, you can have my whole life without reservation, without hesitation. I don't want to be in charge of any of it. I don't want to presume to know what's best for myself. You alone are God. You're God all by yourself, your word says. I love you. I love you so much. I trust you. I'm leaning on you. I'm depending on you. Lord, I've had loads that I couldn't carry, and you carried me and my load. I've had problems I couldn't fix, and you solved them. I've been lost in the darkness, and you found a way because you were my light. You were the way. Lord, when we pause for moments like this and begin to think about how good you've been to us, where else would we want to be today besides in your presence? We take just a moment to remember how far down you reached to get us. Where else would we want to go? I can't speak for everybody here, but I'm telling you for myself, I'm right exactly where I want to be in your presence. There's no safer place in the world than to be in your presence. There's no place with greater peace than your presence. There's no greater security anywhere in the world than in your presence and I am humbled by the mere fact that you have drawn us into your presence and I thank you for it and Lord I have no idea what all you're going to do today but what I do know is that you'll do whatever we will allow so Lord for me I'm telling you do whatever you want to do in my life shape me, mold me, change me, break me, lead me, guide me, rebuke me, correct me, but don't leave me. I'm going to lay my will aside. I'm going to lay my will on the altar. And I want you to have your way and your will. And I want your kingdom to be in me and to be done through me as effortlessly as it's done in the heavens. Lord, I thank you for the people of God. I've been all over the world, and I have met a lot of people, but there are no sweeter, 
hungrier people in the world than these before us today. And I thank you. I thank you for the saints of God standing here on this property today. Meet them at the point of their hunger today. Honor their hunger. Honor their continual pursuit of you. To the angels of the Lord that have been sent here, we release you to do what the Lord has sent you to do. Move among us. Minister as the Lord would direct. In Jesus' name. Look at somebody and tell them how blessed they ought to be to be sitting by you today. Make sure they know. blessed they are to be with you you can seat yourself I want to take your attention if I could to the book of Ephesians now I'm going to tell you right up front I do not I'm not one of these people that can tell you everything I've preached or ministered about everywhere I've been because I don't keep up with it I don't preach with notes and I don't keep files I know there are some people that can tell you what message they preached where and how many times they preached it there. I'm not one of them. I'm not that organized. And uh, so I have, I can tell you, I have read from this reading lately several times, but I woke up with it yesterday in my spirit again and today uh, in my spirit again. So I will see where we go with it this time. Give honor to Pastor and Sister Wright. Uh, they are leaving. Yeah. They, they felt like it was beneficial to be able to get somewhere and detox. And um, if it was me, I'd probably have to be gone for about a month. I'm already praying against them trashy boys that's going to want to marry my daughters. I used to make fun of men with daughters and tease them about it. And then when I had my first one, I just went around and started repenting to all the men I'd been giving a hard time. In fact, one night, Eliana hadn't even been born yet. And I sat up about 3 o'clock in the morning and was just tore all to pieces, crying and snotting and carrying on. My wife woke up. She said, what in the world? I said, how can you lay there and sleep so peacefully? She said, well, what's the matter? I said, we're about to have a daughter. Well, I know, but why are you crying about it? I said, because at some point, some trashy boy is going to come down that street and want to marry her. She just shook her head, and she said, you know, we got a minute before that happens. I said, yeah, but bless God, we got to be prepared for this. And uh, I don't want some slick thing coming up trying to get her attention, and I'm not prepared for it. So I'm just telling you, if I was Pastor Wright this morning, I'd probably be on like a six-month sabbatical. <laughs> but it was a beautiful occasion last night, and those two wonderful people are now one family, and uh, what a blessed time that was. Uh, give honor to Bishop and Mother this morning. Thank the Lord for them. And uh, 
we wouldn't none of us be sitting on this property if somebody hadn't answered the call of God a few years ago. And uh, we honor them and thank the Lord for them. Uh, Ephesians chapter number one to the ministry and all of you. I give honor to all of you in Jesus' name. Now I'm going to read it in the King James first. Who turned the air conditioners off? For God's sake, turn them back on. They went off and I broke out in a sweat just because I heard them go off. Because my faith is it's going to get hot. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 1 through 10. I'm going to read it in the King James first, and then because I like it, I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will. Now, you've got to know who you are and what you are and how you got there. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. He knew who he was, he knew what he was, and he knew who had made him such. And then he knew to whom he had been applied, to the saints which are at Ephesus. He did not actually think he was God's gift to the world. He knew the field God had applied him to. And to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us all. Oh, feel so much better, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom he, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. I, there, are, there are some passages of scripture that I personally read that leave me confused. And it takes a minute to let the Lord just kind of massage it out for me. And, and I have a very, I have a simple thought process. And uh, when you start getting into just great uh, elaborate explanations of things sometimes it frustrates me and I like it black and white I, I just want the simple truth I don't need it dressed up I don't need flowers attached just tell me what the truth is tell me what the word's saying and let's move on with it and do our very best to apply it but there are some passages of scripture um, because of the King James English that if you if you just read through it really quickly and this passage is kind of one of them when you read through it real quick, it's um, you appreciate it. There's a few little nuggets in there that you get, but then you, the whole overall view of that passage or even a verse or even a sentence sometimes is lost on my feeble brain. This one, however, was not one of them. Uh, but then when I began to read it again in the Amplified Classic Edition and then the Passion Translation, there were a lot of things in it that began to 
just really leap off the page to me and make a lot of sense to me. Um, partially because, if, if not primarily because of the circumstances that we find ourselves living in. Um, now, I may say something here in a minute that gets um, a response from the Internet. I don't know. Uh, not long ago, I was preaching, and I made some comments. I won't repeat them, but, well, they weren't bad, but, I mean, they were startling at the moment. And I had no idea I was going to say them. And then when the Lord said them, um, people from around the country um, had this experience. And one lady that was connected to, related to somebody there in the building said that her, I don't know if it was a laptop or an iPad, but her screen blurred out and it popped up. There were some options. And it said that this content is offensive to the Facebook community. And so you can report it and block it. You can block it without reporting it. You can uh, do something else. And then you can report it as offensive but continue to watch it. Or you can just continue to watch it without a report. So she said she wanted to keep watching without reporting it. But if you think for one second that that didn't end up in a database somewhere, you'd, be, you'd probably be very naive. Um, <clears throat> and so I do realize that the times we're living in are not the times most of us grew up in. Uh, I'm 53, and just in my little short lifetime, I, I never would have thought some of the things that we're, we're watching unfold in front of us in the world today, I never dreamed I'd see them unfold. Things that we're having to do, I never dreamed we'd have to do. Precautions we're having to take, I never dreamed we'd have to take them. The way we think about the world, I never thought we'd have to think about it this way. The things that our children are having to deal with in school, even at elementary levels, I never would have dreamed that some of these things would be an issue. We homeschool our children for a reason. And I, I never dreamed that we would have to be so careful about what our children were being told in the public school system. I never dreamed that I would hear news reports that uh, parents were being arrested and the FBI was being contacted about parents at school board meetings who were fussing about different content that they were wanting to push in the school system. And that if you oppose that, then you were going to be arrested for terrorism and inciting violence because you had a different opinion. I never dreamed that we would basically live in a world where it's essentially uh, illegal to have your own opinion, it seems. I know that's not the law of the land, but it is, it is the force of humanity that's pushing us more to a place where we don't have an opinion. And, and I think that if we're not careful, we'll, we'll get to looking at the news and we'll get to looking at uh, car lots. I don't know how it is here in the northeast, but in the south, uh, a lot of our car lots, Brother John Stone, you can't, you can't hardly find a brand new car sitting on a car lot. Uh, there's one uh, dealership that their old lot probably has 500 cars, brand new cars sitting in it, but they can't get chips to go in the computers to sell the cars with. And um, my wife and I, uh, we bought her a new van the other day, and the dealership told me, they said, if you want one of them, we've got three on the lot. Two of them are pretty much spoken for, but we, if you want this last one, and I said, well, have you got any more coming in? He said, yeah, I've got two trucks coming, three on each truck, but they're already bought. 
people are coming in putting down payments on these vehicles before they ever get to the dealership because they can't get enough chips. And, and there's a litany of reasons why, and there's all kind of stuff going on in the world. My point is not to bash all of that. My point is simply to make the facts known that I never thought we'd live in a world like this. I never thought that there would be a shortage of new cars. I never thought there'd be a shortage of goods and services in, in the public uh, sector. I, I never thought you'd walk into Walmart or Target and see shelves that had nothing on them because, well, that stuff comes out of here and we can't get that. Uh, you ask manufacturers and you ask people that sell things. Um, my Lord, I, I don't know how much lumber got to here, but in the South, OSB, plywood and stuff, I mean, uh, just a cheap sheet of OSB that used to be $8 went to $75 a sheet. And uh, I, I, Lord God, that's just junk wood. That's scrap stuff they glued together and cut it out, four by eight sheets, and sold it. Why in the world is it $75 a sheet? I never dreamed we'd live in all this. I never dreamed that they'd say something about a lockdown, and two minutes later there wasn't an egg on a shelf in any grocery store in Crawford County. I never dreamed that they'd say something about a lockdown and all the beef and all the pork and all the chicken would disappear right out of Walmart. I, I never would have believed in my life that that would happen. And yet, here we are in a world that is continually revealing things to us that we never would have believed we'd ever see in our lifetimes. We preached about it coming. We believed that there were going to be dire times that were going to come. But i got to admit, I think a lot of us, me, let me just say that, I think I thought I would be yet dead before all that mayhem happened. Uh, but alas, it has caught up to us before I have reached that point of dying. And so here we are in a world, and, and if you're not careful, it's real easy to look around you and get depressed. It's real easy to look around us and wonder what's next and how are we going to survive. I have young adults that want children ask me on a regular basis, Brother Shelton, should we have children? And I'm it always catches me off guard because I'm thinking, what in the wide world do I have to say about whether you have children or not? And so my question is, do you want children? Well, yeah, we want kids. Well, what? why are we having a conversation? If you want children, be fruitful and multiply. Well, but should we have children in the world we're living in today? Well, did the Lord tell you not to? No. But it's just, I mean, the world is, it's, my Lord, Brother Shelton. And so my response to them is, you know what, if, if the Lord has left us in this world this long and is going to leave us here a little while longer, he's got a plan for all that, and, and he's God, and he's well able to take care of us. So if you want children, go have children. If you want a two-children uh, household, go have a two-children household. If you want to be like my great aunt and have 18, go have 18. That'll be fine. I would highly advise against it, but I mean, whatever. Three, and I'm tapped out. I, my wife told me the other day she wanted a fourth one. <laughs> what in the world for? I said, well, you and Jesus work all that out. I just have one rule. I don't want to be in diapers with my youngest child. So if we're going to have another one, we better hurry up. Me and Junior will be sharing a walker together, just going right on down through the house. I took my little boy to get his hair cut the other day, and the barber said, well, Papa, how... I said, I will... Papa, my eye. I will wing whoop you like a chicken right here in your own barber shop. Papa. 
Oh, you're not his papa? No, I'm a late bloomer. I'm his daddy. So, I mean, I do have a few things working against me on this child business, but there's a lot of trepidation in the world. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I own this? Should I not own this? Should I go get me a covered wagon and sell everything and live in that covered wagon so I can be off the grid? There's no such thing as off the grid anymore. You can't get off the grid. You can get rid of your technology, but you own somebody's grid. I'm just going to tell you right now, they'll find your happy hide. You, you're not off the grid. And that's the world we live in. And there's a lot of things that are left to question. There are a lot of uncertainties in the world. And there's a lot of stuff we just don't have a clue on what it's going to turn out to be. And so when we don't have all those assurities and we don't have all those certainties and we don't have all those guarantees, we, we start looking for them. Well, the only place to find all of those guarantees is in the Word of God. But the problem with the Word of God is a lot of us believe it, but we don't trust it. And some of us trust it, but we don't believe it. Somewhere along the way, you've got to get a hold of the Word of God and realize it's the only life preserver you got. David said, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against you. I, I'm telling you, there's, there's no other thing in the world that's going to get you out of here other than the word of God and the spirit of God. And if, if you don't have that and if you don't believe what you've got is going to be the ticket, you're in trouble. The writer said that if I find in this world I have hope only, I'm of all men most miserable. And so if we're not going to be miserable and wretched, we've got to go somewhere to get help. We've got to go somewhere to get hope. We've got to look somewhere besides ourselves to find the faith to keep getting up in the morning. And, and I, I, I don't understand. I'm, I'm just talking for a minute before I finish reading. But I don't understand. I, I, know, I know preachers and saints of God that are just some of the most wretched, depressed people I have ever met in my entire life. And when you get around them, it takes about, I don't know, 38 seconds, and you want to just go run your head through a sheetrock wall. Just just run right through it. feel better to just face plant into a wall than to have to stand around and listen to some of these supposedly apostolic people talk with such depression about the times we live in. Perilous times are going to come, the Word said. Heresies must come. The world has to get worse before we want to get out of here. If Jesus came right now, even with what we've been through, there's some people that would argue with him they're not ready to go yet. And so the Lord's going to let it get worse so that we don't want to be here anymore. There's going to have to be something. But in, in all of that, even, even with it getting worse, in all of that, we still have hope. In all of that, there used to be songs we used to sing, Sister Singletary, that made us not want to be here. One of them was, I'm going to take a trip in that good old gospel ship. I'm going far beyond the skies. <clears throat> uh, one of the verses talks about, um, don't weep for me when I'm gone. I won't have to leave here alone, whatever. It's been so long, I can't even remember it all. But there were songs, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. There were, there were things that we put in our spirit that said, you know, I'm here because I have to be. Because it's really the next step in getting to where I'm trying to be. And, and, but then the tide turned on us. And somehow another society and the church culture that we lived in made us believe that this was our best life now. And that's a straight up lie. This is not your best life. 
Some of y'all own that book, but it's not your best life. There's nothing in this life that I want to stay here for. Well, your family, no, I want to take them with me. I want to go and I want them to go with, I don't, I'm not worried about leaving them behind. I want to take them with me when I get up out of here. And somehow or another, we were programmed to believe that, you know, we better make the best we can out of the life we've got. We better, we, oh man, you better live your life now and you just better do all of this stuff. And we've made the, we've made the goal having a great life when the goal should be to get through this life in the will of God, pleasing God, obedient to God so that I can spend eternity with him somewhere. But... The first thing the enemy did was he conned us into believing that this was the best place for us to be. This was the best place that we could ever hope for. This was a utopia. This was paradise. This was it. Well, then when you began to put all of your eggs in this earthly basket, then the thing got turned around and the old boy flipped the tables on us. And then he starts striking at us with hopelessness, which I personally believe is the greatest spirit of our time that we're dealing with in the church and out of the church. I think that we have more drug addicts because of hopelessness. We have more alcoholics because of hopelessness. We've got apostolics on prescription pain pills because they have no hope that their life is ever going to get any better so they numb their brain day after day after day because they have no hope you talk to somebody and i've done it several times you talk to somebody that's been in and out of jail and 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 it just seems like they never learn their lesson and they'll get out of jail they'll live right do right for about six weeks or six months and then all of a sudden they flip out and they get arrested again and right back in the penitentiary they go. And then you go to visitation and you're crying, looking across the glass window at them or in the, in the common room talking to them and ask the question, why are you here? And they'll tell you, I, I don't know. I just, I just can't make it on the outside. That's hopelessness. They, I've had them tell me right to my face. I don't want to be in prison, but I have no hope out there. Every time I fill out a job application and they say, have you ever been convicted of a crime? I have to confess to being convicted of a crime over and over and over and over, which means there are some jobs that I'm qualified for, I want to have, but I can't have because I've never still yet paid my debt to society. It don't matter how many years ago they did what they did or how much time they spend in jail, they forever are associated with what they've done. Well, guess what that breeds in them? Hopelessness. You will never see me as anything other than an ex-con. So if I can't get ahead in this life outside of prison, I'm going to go live the life I know how to live and I'm going to do what I know how to do. And at least on the inside of a penitentiary, I know the rules, I know the ropes, and I can excel in there, but I have no hope of ever being anything other than an ex-con out here. And I don't believe that we're facing, I don't believe drug addiction is our big problem. I don't believe alcoholism. I don't believe addiction is the issue. I believe hopelessness is the issue. I'm looking for something to give me hope. I'm looking for something to give me some faith that there's a better world and a better life beyond here. But when I can't find that hope, I turn to something that numbs my brain and makes me not want to look for it anymore. And we've done that in the church. We've got people, some of the most depressed people I've ever met 
are in the house of God. They have, they sit right at the banquet table, but are starving to death sitting here with a feast in front of them. David had enough sense to say that the Lord prepared a table for him in the presence of his enemies. David figured out how to ignore everything that was going on and eat what had been put before him. But we've got some apostolics that don't know how to eat off the table just because the table is surrounded by our adversaries. That don't matter. What's happening beyond the table isn't the issue. What table are you sitting at? Who cooked the food that's on it? Who put it in front of you? And are you going to partake of it while you've got the chance? A person with no hope would starve to death sitting right there at that table. No hope. I just, I just don't believe. I just, I just don't believe. I just don't believe. And so we, we try to preach some watered-down mess half the time that don't challenge people. And faith, preaching faith is not preaching to people where they're at. In fact, kingdom preaching is not always trying to preach to us where we are. But somehow, in, in this flipping of things, the enemy con ministry into preaching to us that be happy with where you are. And I know the scripture says, in whatever state you find yourself, be you therefore content. That's not talking about settling and dying where you are. Be content that you know God's in control and God's going to help you and God's going to lead you and God's going to provide and God's going to take care of you and God is never going to leave you or forsake you. You'll never be on the side of the road begging bread. <clears throat> but... We have been convinced, and, and, and I'm going to tell you what I personally believe. Now, I'm going to get to my scripture in a minute. But I personally have, have the opinion through my observations that a lot of us that call ourselves apostolic, Brother Bray, we're, we're really agnostics. Because if we were apostolic, we'd act different. If we were truly apostolic, we wouldn't be on Facebook griping and complaining about every negative thing going on in our life. I, I don't know what in the wide world is an apostolic doing on the internet. Moaning, Brother Barr, and complaining about, oh, my life's so bad, I don't know what. I, yes, you, you, you do know what you're going to do. You're going to get your happy self up, go to the altar, lay your problem at the altar, leave it there, and let God be God. That's what you're going to do. But I, I told my wife, I said, I got to get off this Facebook. I can't be looking at this stuff much because Jesus is going to come one day while I'm looking at it, and I'm going to be lost. How are you going to be lost? Look, because I, my blood pressure goes up. I get angry. I get mad. These weepy mouths, poor mouth saints of God just on here talking about, oh, all is lost. There's no hope. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just, I just, it, the world's terrible. My family's in a mess and I don't know what. Oh, for God's sake. Where in the wide world did the spine of the church go? What, what happened to our biblical backbone? What, what in the world came among us and decided to make us absolutely powerless when you and I are the most powerful people on the whole planet. Well, I'll tell you what I think it is. I think it's hopelessness. I think there's a spirit that runs through the church that says, why worship? It's not going to change anything. Well, whether it changes anything or not, worship is about who he is, who he's always been, and who he's always going to be. Now, I will admit, you, you worship people. I was a little bitter at you this morning. Up here hopping around like crickets on crack. <laughs> and singing at the same time. 
You know what would happen if I was hopping around like some of y'all were this morning and trying to sing? I'd be on oxygen. <laughs> and they're hopping and singing and carrying on, and then they stop and make a statement or two, and none of them's breathing heavy, and nobody can't get their breath. And I'm like, this is not fair. <laughs> I had a little over, overwhelming hopelessness hit me there watching all that. <laughs> and the Lord said, there is hope, my son. Push back from the table. I said, yes, sir. Let's read. Let's go back to Ephesians. We have hope, but we're going to have to get up and go looking for it. Well, while I'm on it, let me say something else to you. The scripture says that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. There are some promises and privileges in the kingdom that belong to us, but they're not going to come waltzing down the road looking for you. When the scripture says that the kingdom suffereth violence and the violent take it by force, that means there's room in the plan of God for you to get yourself up from the puddle of tears, your mess you're laying in, and go after your part of the kingdom. If God's promised you hope, go take it. Just because you're a child of God don't mean your world got better all of a sudden. Just because you talked in tongues don't mean you're not going to have a trial. Just because you were baptized in Jesus' name don't mean that your health isn't going to be attacked. It don't mean that your family's not going to be attacked. All those things are going to come. And not long ago, I was cutting my grass on my little John Deere lawnmower, and the Lord, I had my little earbuds in, and some little fellow was reading some scriptures, and all of a sudden the scripture was read, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And when I heard that, something caught my, and I stopped, Everything, turned the blades off, sat there for a minute, and the Lord said, did that get your attention? I said, yes, sir, it did. And he said, you always thought that that scripture said that there'd be no weapon formed against you. That's all you ever heard out of that. And it shocked me to realize that was the case. When I've read that scripture, quoted that scripture, heard somebody else read or quote it, in my mind that translated to there'll be no weapon formed against you. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, that's why you get caught off guard so much. You're shocked that there's a weapon that's been formed against you because you thought there wasn't going to be one. That's not what I told you. I told you no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So there's a couple of things in here. Number one, the enemy's going to form a weapon against you. He is absolutely going to do it, and he's absolutely going to use it against you. But when he does, don't be dismayed by it. You you don't even have to get your blood pressure up with the old boy because no weapon he comes up with, is that's an established law. Before there's a problem, before there's a crisis, before there's an issue, there's already a law and a promise in place. But for you and I to benefit from that, we've got to get up from there. Well, I I was sitting on my lawnmower, and I began to thank the Lord for it out loud. I fired the blades up, and down through the yard I went just mowing for Jesus and talking about, thank you, Jesus. I know the old boy's got a plan. I know he's doing everything he can to come against me, but do what he can. Well, then, when your confidence gets where it ought to be, you stop talking to the Lord, and you start talking to the enemy, and you start telling him, hey, I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. I know what God's promised me, and I know you're going to try to destroy me. I know you're going to try to get me. I know you're going to try to distract me and depress me, but it's not going to work. I've already got a promise that predates you. Now, let's read this again. And I may be the only one that gets blessed out of this today, but just here we go. Ephesians chapter number one. Now, we're in the Passion Translation. Dear friends, my name is Paul, 
And I was chosen by God. That's just powerful. I was chosen by God to be an apostle of Jesus the Messiah. I'm writing this letter to all of the devoted believers. Seems like to me the undevoted believers. If there are devoted believers, there are undevoted believers. And the undevoted believers are not going to really get much out of this. So he tells them, I'm targeting this letter to all of you that are devoted. So from this point forward, I'm, I'm talking here at Antioch to the devoted believers. Who have been made holy by being one with Jesus the anointed one. May God himself, the heavenly father of our Lord Jesus Christ, release grace over you and impart total well-being into your lives. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. (laughs) Now this is powerful to me. It just gets me every time. Every. Everybody say every. Every. Spiritual. Spiritual. Blessing. In the heavenly realm has already. Everybody say already. Been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly father. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly father. It's already been given to us. I'm going to have to go on to my seat. Nobody's picking up what I'm putting down. It's already been determined. It's already been given. And in the mind of God, he has already lavished all of this on us. The father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. Well, why would he do this? Have you ever noticed how one of the things we like to say is, I just don't know why the Lord, we want him to do it. And then when he does it, we want to set around, I just don't know why the Lord would do such a thing for me. Because he has already seen you differently than you see yourself. He saw you before the foundation of the universe wrapped in Christ. So he decided, I'm going to go ahead and establish some law for my children. This is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. And in love, he chose us before. And in love, I just don't feel like anybody loves me. That's a lie. That, that is a lie straight out of hell. The enemy wants you to say that. Don't say that kind of nonsense. I don't care if the people in this world feel you feel like they love you or not. Do not say, nobody loves me. Brother Shelton, this is way too simple. Well, I told you in the beginning, I'm simple. In love, he chose us before he laid the foundation of the universe. In love, he chose us before there was a universe, before there was a planetary system, before any of the stars existed, before anything had ever been named, before an animal was created, before a cloud was in the sky, a drop of water fell to the earth, a river flowed, or a sea came and went, before any of that happened, he had already chosen us in, in the beginning, before the beginning. He had already decided that we were going to be his, and he chose us then. The enemy wants you to believe that you have nothing, you don't belong to anything, there's nothing available to you and the truth of the matter is right here in the book in love he chose you before he laid the foundation of the universe you were more important to him than the universe was because of his great love he ordained us 
so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes. It don't matter how you see yourself in his eyes, he sees you as an unstained, innocent individual. So that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. You may look on your past and see all the stuff you've done. You may look back down the history of your life and see this mistake and this failure and I shouldn't have done this and I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have looked at this. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have involved myself in this. I shouldn't have given myself to this lifestyle. None of that matters. In his mind, before the foundation of the earth, he decided to love you in light of the mistakes you were going. He knew we were going to make mistakes. He knew all of our flaws before he ever created us. And he determined in the very beginning, I'm going to love them anyway. If they can get up from their mistake and keep moving, I'll be waiting on them to take them to the next level. If they can forgive themselves, I'm already in love with them. I'm going to do what I want to do for them if they will let me. If they will just let me, I'm going to love them. He ordained us so that he could see us as holy. Forgiveness, remission of sins, his righteousness. He did all of this so that when he looked at us, he saw us unstained and innocent. For it was always, everybody say it was always. It was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus. Nobody ever accidentally came into the kingdom. If you're here today and you have not received the Holy Ghost, let me tell you, it is already his plan to adopt you into the body of Christ through the new birth experience. That It's, it's already an established fact. Nobody in this room just accidentally showed up at an apostolic church somewhere or in a home group meeting or on the street or in the office and received the Holy Ghost accidentally. It didn't happen that way. He decided a long time ago, I want to adopt everybody that will let me adopt them. I want to adopt them. I want to be their father. I want to see them as my innocent children. I want them to be mine. I want them to have the security of having a father. I want them to know me because I already love them. Before you ever felt like you were unlovable or unloved, he loved you. Isn't this just like simple kindergarten stuff? Before anybody made you feel unlovable, he loved you. I'm adopted. My brother was adopted. I have three adopted children. And I have a soft spot in my heart for adoption, obviously. But when I was a child... There were a lot of things I didn't understand. Now, my parents told me all my childhood, my brother, that we were adopted. There was never a question about any of that. I only ever had one question, and that one question was why. I just wanted to know why I was put up for adoption. It didn't matter to me what that answer was. I just wanted to know what it was. Um, And I didn't know the answer to that until about three years ago, and the Lord I didn't know the actual answer, but I knew the spiritual answer long before that. The Lord spoke to me through Brother Barnes. But then uh, I found out three years ago the natural events surrounding all of that. And I will tell you that as, um, as conditioned as I think I had gotten to it and as um, mature as I thought I probably was, and, and I would have told you at any given point, that it was good, I was good, I understood it, there was no voids, no gaps, no anything. 
I have to admit to you that there was still always, even even as adjusted as I was to it, I still there was there was just like a blank spot there I couldn't figure out. I I just couldn't uh, because there was information that I didn't have, and even even when I began to get information um, a few years ago with Brother Barnes, and then three years ago um, after I spit in that little tube and they sent it off and. My family taught me into doing that ancestry DNA deal. Oh, boy, was that an eye-opener. And um, even with all of that information that came, there was still just, I, I still didn't understand why. I couldn't figure out why. I see where ancestrally my people were Irish and Norwegian and Scottish, and uh, then here they come across the country and came into the U.S., and Boy, they just a whole bunch of them there, and, and then here we all are. Uh, and I started finding out information about all of that. And it was interesting, and it was cool, but, and it answered some natural questions that I had, but there were still some gaps. The why, the, 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 the real why of it all. And then this passage of Scripture began to be something that the Lord began to fill in those other blanks with me. There, there were things that he had planned for me before I was ever in the womb. Before that woman that gave birth to me uh, made the decisions that she made and the pressure that was put on her to do what she did, uh, before any of that ever happened, before she was born, before her parents and great-grandparents were ever born, before the world was formed, God had already established a plan for me. And then now, as I began to read that, tr- that passage of Scripture and look back, I began to realize that everything that I've had happen in my life was part of the plan. It was always... If you've got little children, you've probably heard uh, Secret Agent Oso uh, say it was all part of the plan, folks. At the end of all of his little missions, he says, this little fat panda bear, I really associate with him well. He he says, he's, because of his wit and intelligence, but that's the connection. But at the end of all of his plans and all of his little missions, he says it was all part of the plan, folks. Well, when I began to read this, Brother McGurk, it just, it dawned on me, and I kid you not, the thought went through my head, it was all always part of the plan. It was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children. Through our union with Jesus. Now, the difference between him adopting us and us adopting children is, it's not often that you get to say, all right, I want to adopt that one, that one, and that one. Usually it's the children that come into your life by way of the kingdom or the system. And because you want to be a parent and you want to give a child a home so bad, you're willing to adopt whatever is available for you to adopt in the way of children. But for us, it was specific. He had already decided. He knew each one of us before we were ever formed in the womb. And he decided, and I can't tell you how impactful this has been for me. It was always in his perfect plan, perfect, not, not some fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants deal, in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the Anointed One, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for the beloved, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan, it's, it's unfolding, it's not over it's not finished. It's still unfolding. This unfolding plan brings him, uh, brings him great pleasure. Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood. The total cancellation of our sins, all because of the, uh, the cascading riches of his grace. 
The superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us. This superabundant grace already works in us, releasing all forms of wisdom and practical understanding and hidden mystery of his long-range plan, which he was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. And because of God's unfailing purpose. Now, every time I read that, there's times that I've, I've just put my head in my hands and wept. Other times I've wanted to run the aisles. Because of God's unfailing purpose, whatever his purpose is for each individual in this room, it will not fail. God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan. God is not working in the gray areas. He works in detail. This detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax when God makes all things new, makes all things new in all of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Now, all of this stuff that I've read to you in the King James and in the Passion Translation, it is not designed, I don't think, by God to just make us just want to run through a, a troop and leap over a wall every single time. Sometimes we need to stop a minute and look at the chaos surrounding us. Look at the mess going on in our lives. And maybe there's people in this room today that you've got a mess somewhere in your life. Timothy, come play melodiously and give the people of God hope, just real soft. It's false hope, but give it to them anyway. <laughs> not really. <clears throat> if we're not careful, we'll get to looking around at all the stuff I talked about earlier, all the news, uh, and you can't tr trust any of the news. They're selling airtime, so they'll say whatever they got to say to sell airtime. I've, I've quit listening to it. I, I just, all the speculation and all the nonsense, I, the Lord God, the only, the only thing that any of us know for sure is what's in that book. But if we're not careful, we're going to get to looking at that and we'll get to looking at all of our inadequacies and we'll get to looking at all the things that we thought were going to happen one way or another and realize um, it's very possibly not going to happen the way I imagined it would. Um, my life does not look anything like I thought it was going to. Matter of fact, it looks nothing like I had intended it to look. And when you think that you're just skating through and we're just going through life and um, all of a sudden we'll, we'll start saying things like, well, this wasn't fair and that wasn't fair and this shouldn't have happened and that shouldn't have happened. But really, if, if we put it back in the context of Ephesians chapter 1, it was fair because it was all part of his plan. God don't have a plan B. I mean, I know I've heard that said and I think I've probably said it before, but God really doesn't have a plan B. He has a plan. And it is going to come to pass. Some of us are dealing with hurt and anguish even on today. Maybe you've been treated in a way that you think isn't fair. Maybe things have been said that left you hurt and wounded. But please be a little bit encouraged that every mountaintop, every valley, and the journey between the two has all been part of the plan of God for your life. Nothing you have gone through, whether it was a sick child, an incident in your own life, your own health being tested, trials, troubles, circumstances, things beyond your control, 
heartbreak, whatever it would be, none of it. Laying in the hospital for weeks and months at a time, none of it was accidental. None of it had no purpose. All of it had an intended purpose. Every bit of it was woven into the fabric of God's plan for you, intricately placed right where it was. It was determined to happen at that season and in that time. The scripture says that all things work together for the good of them that are called according to his purpose. Well, when you start looking at it, 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 takes, it takes the despair out of the experience. And all of a sudden, this, this does not remain the most turbulent, trying time of our lives. All of a sudden, this becomes the most beautiful time of our life. All of a sudden, we realize that God, just, just by one little 10-verse passage of Scripture, from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world, He saw you in this room today. Before the foundation of the world, He saw every child you were going to have. He saw every child you wanted to have. He saw every miscarriage. He saw every failed relationship. He saw all of it. And he knew that if they'll keep moving toward the light, if they'll just keep working their way toward Calvary, all of these things are there to get them to a certain place at a certain time so that my will can be done through them. <clears throat> and every step of the way, the will of God's been done in your life. I have buried a brother. I have buried a father. I didn't understand either one of those things when they happened. And when I think about it too much, like a minute or two, it tears me up all over again. If you've ever lost someone you love, you know what I'm talking about. It's, there is an unexplainable void. I remember being in Lowe's about six weeks after Dad passed and we buried him. And I was looking for a little air conditioner to go in the kids' playhouse and I, um, I found a couple, and I thought, let me see what Pop thinks. And I pulled my phone out, and I dialed his phone. Well, his phone and Mom's phone, I just they would never upgrade their phone, so I put them on my plan so I could make sure they had a good phone. And I called his phone, and I hadn't turned it off yet. It was two years. I couldn't turn it off for two years. So I called Pop, and it rang and rang and rang, and then his voicemail came on, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. That man is never going to answer that phone again. And when that realization hit me, Brother Benner, I just turned around and I found me a couple of showers that were hanging. I was in close to the showers and, the, and I just turned and walked between a couple of displays and closed one of them shower doors behind me and I, I couldn't help it. I just, I, I just wept. And there was a battle that went on. There were two of me there that day. One of me said, God, why? And the other me said, God, thank you for being my father. Do I miss my daddy? Ooh. Every minute of every day. But boy, have I found my father in the absence of my daddy. I've had to turn to him in a way that I never had to before. I've learned how to trust him like I never had to before. Did it seem fair that day we buried Pop? No. 
Did it seem fair the day that I got the call my brother had passed? No. But when I read these few verses here, it took me back to those events and those moments, Brother Barr. And I had to repent. I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry I got so upset with you in the beginning of all that. I just didn't understand how that all of this was part of your divine, unfailing plan. And sometimes we have to trip. Sometimes we have to climb. Sometimes we're going to get knocked down. That's just part of the plan. But all things, all of it works to our benefit. Every bit of it. Now here's what I want you to do. Here's what the Lord wants us to do. Maybe we'll run the aisles tonight, but some of us have been carrying stuff, trying to figure out why this and why that and why this and why that. Lord, why don't you change this? Maybe you've got a child that's had to go through stuff, and as a parent, you couldn't do anything about it. Lord, why? Well, I'm going to tell you this much. In this life, we may never fully understand why. But there will come a point in eternity when the Lord reveals it all to us. And what I see my children going through as a trial and a tribulation, maybe maybe my child's challenge has become something that champions another person's life. And that other person looks at what my children are going through and they are able to somehow give God glory and credit and worship Him because of what my children have gone through or what I've gone through. All of us in this room have been through stuff. Every single one of us have. And it's not always fair. And it's rarely fun. But it's all had a purpose. And as we move more into the end time and we get closer to the rapture of the church, I can promise you two things that are going to continue to happen. You're going to hurt other people's feelings. And other people are going to hurt your feelings especially if you keep coming to church. Nobody gets offended by the employees at Target and Walmart. But you want to get your feelings hurt, come to church again today. I promise you there's a good chance somebody may hurt your feelings. But you just have to remember sometimes the Lord lets us be crucified by Christians. It's just part of the plan. Because part of his unfailing plan is that we are crucified with him. And there are things and events that God uses and allows to happen that help crucify our flesh and mortify the deeds of the flesh. Stand with me if you would. We're going to repent. If you have ever asked God why, that's not what I'm talking about. But if you've ever been mad at God because he let you go through what you went through, do you realize that if you hadn't gone through what you went through, you wouldn't be standing right here where you are with the person you're with, in the life you're in, serving the God you're serving, if you hadn't gone through the misery that you went through to get here? The awesome thing about it is the Lord didn't let you go through it alone. Now we're fixing to move into some significant times in the church. There's a lot of stuff that's fixing to happen. And the landscape of the world and the church is changing. We're going to see the miraculous at a level we've never seen it. We're going to start seeing harvest at a level we've never seen it. I mean, you look around this room today and it's obvious. 
God's adding to the church. There's people here today I've never seen in my life. Never seen. God's drawing and adding and drawing and adding. But for us to be a part of the kingdom, to take these promises and these assurances and guarantees, if I'm going to have those, I'm going to have to go get those. But I'm going to have to quit carrying around the mess that I've been carrying around that keeps me from going after the kingdom. I want all the love that he's already determined as mine. I want the cascading riches of the love of God that he's already determined I can have. I want all the peace that he's already released for me to have. I want all of the joy. I want all of the fruit of the spirit. I want, I want the peace and the love and the security of God's grace and presence. around. I want it all. But for me to go after it, I may have to leave some stuff right here today and not drag one more memory, not one more minute, not one more tear, not one more nothing. I may have to leave it all right here. So if you can think of anything that you've been dragging, I don't care if it's been for 30 days, 30 minutes, or 30 years, and you know it's keeping you from taking your part of the kingdom, I want you to come find a place in this altar somewhere. You can lay on your face, you can stand, you can kneel. But when you get here, repent to God for having drugged that stuff around and leave it here today and begin to take the kingdom that belongs to you. They'll sing or play whatever they feel to do is fine with me. That song right there is perfect, actually. You got just a few more seconds, another seven or eight seconds, and if you're not moving in that amount of time, then don't worry about it. He knew you before he founded the world. He knew us before he established the foundation of the universe. In the womb, he loved you. In the womb, he had already determined I've got great things in store for this one. It's going to be a rougher road getting there than what they thought. They're going to be rejected. They're going to be betrayed. They're going to be hurt. They're going to go through ups and downs. But if they'll receive the love that I have for them, come on, just you and Jesus pour it out. Lord, I've been so mad at you at times, I couldn't even think about it. And I repent. Lord, I repent. Come on, I can't pray for you. Lord, I see it. You've made it clear to me today that my life is not an accident. I'm not an accident. I was intentional. You were intentional in my creation and in my being here. And you've had a plan for my life from day one. It don't matter who's hurt me. It don't matter who has abandoned me. It doesn't. None of that matters. What matters is you had a plan for me. And, Lord, we've had to go down some paths we didn't understand, some that didn't make sense. But here today, I'm letting it all go. Come on, it's just you and Jesus. You're just going to have to let it go. You're just going to have to quit dragging this stuff along and lamenting over it day after day after day and accept the fact. Trust, trust the Word of God that you believe. Maybe some of you, your parents, put you through some things that wasn't fair. I understand it. it hurts, but it was all part of his plan. And something very beautiful is going to be birthed out of that today. If you'll let it, God will birth something very beautiful in you. Your ministry will expand. Your influence in the kingdom will grow. 
just begin to open your mouth and your spirit and let the Lord know I, I am I don't want to drag this hopelessness around anymore I don't want to drag this sorrow and this pain anymore come on just you and him yeah come on some of you are right there at the brink of it you're wanting to release it you need to go ahead you can trust him Your life has been ordained of God every second of it, every minute of it, even to the point of you being in this room today. Yeah, go ahead. I don't care who told you they didn't love you. I don't care who told you they didn't care about you. Jesus cared about you every second of the day. Jesus loved you every minute. And it was him that drew every one of us in this room today. It was him that drew every one of us to be here to hear him remind us you're not here on accident you are not an accident my mom and dad my birth parents may not have wanted me but Jesus did and he allowed me to be born into the world because he had a plan that predated my birth maybe I'm not the only one in here today that was put up for adoption some of you may have even been abandoned as children you weren't abandoned that was God taking over. That was the moment of your life that the Lord said, okay, now I've got you. They brought you into the world. Now I'm going to use you powerfully in the kingdom. That's it. Come on, you can, you can feel that strain and the stress of it begin to leave your body. Leave your mind. I want all of you. I'm going to give you all of me. That's it. Come on, just pour it out. If somebody's ever told you you were a flawed mess and a failure, and no, you weren't. You sure were not. You were brought into the world for such a time as now. The plan of God for your life has always existed. He has always wanted to be your father. He has always wanted to love us. He's always wanted to care for us. Go ahead, let it go. You've carried sorrow. You've carried sadness and heaviness for a long time. This is the greatest moment of your life to be able to leave it here. I am not leaving this place sad anymore. I, I, I don't want to carry this. Any, I am done living under this pressure. I'm done living under this heaviness. I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of suicidal thoughts. I'm done with it. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah, come on. Yes.
Jesus has been in charge of your life from the very beginning. He poured his riches out on you from the very beginning.